You are listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bonace, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bonace. Wow, what an intro, eh? We're in our Advent season, we're leading up to Christmas. This is an exciting time, this exciting season, and Advent is a time of anticipation. Yeah, so we're, we're leading up to the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas, as we traditionally celebrate it at Christmas. And this is just full of wonder, full of gifts, full of fun, and it's also a time of chocolate. <laughs> yes, chocolate, and I absolutely love chocolate, uh, and that's super exciting. And one of the things that's great about Advent is Advent calendars, yes. It's got a picture of Santa spinning decks there. It's the only one I could find, actually, and uh, I was going to give it away, but I'm not sure anybody will like Reese's. Anybody like Reese's? Or oh, Rona likes Reese's. I think Ella likes Reese's as well. Oh, well, I'll select somebody to give it away to. Unfortunately for some, it's a bit of a letdown when we go through this, because if you don't know the real true meaning about what Christmas is about, then it becomes only about chocolate. But, you know, it's about so much more than that. Or actually, if you just get one of those calendars that's just got little pictures inside, pretty disappointing compared to the chocolate calendars. And I remember actually when, when I, I was young, then <coughs> one particular Christmas, we got a lot of chocolate. And instead of having an advent calendar, we were tying the chocolates to the tree. And then we were all you know, taking it in turns to have one every day. And uh, one night I went down in the middle of the night and ate all the sweeties <laughs> off the tree. And uh, I claimed innocence for years, but they all knew it was me. And eventually, <laughs> yeah, eventually I repented and, uh, and came clean. Um, also, Abby one year bought me a chocolate Santa that wasn't the lint chocolate Santa. And, and she gave me that one and I was like, oh, I really appreciate this. <laughs> but it's not the lint chocolate Santa. <laughs> And uh, I was a bit disappointed that she's never, she's never not bought me the right Santa again. So, I, you know, it's fun. It's anticipation, you know, Advent calendars, anticipation. They're leading up to something. You get a little bit of it now, but it's not the full thing. You know, it's, it's a little bit of something, but you're looking forward to something even more that is to come. It's now, but it's not yet. And that's what we're doing now in church. We're in the season of Advent. We're preparing, we're leading up to, we're expanding, and we're unpacking this excitement about the promise of Jesus and what his birth means and, and this, as we approach this, this season for celebrating it. But the real reason I'm bringing this up is that I'm going to say today that God's kingdom on earth at the moment is a little bit like an Advent calendar. Now, bear with me. Some of you are probably like, what on earth? But... I think there's a little bit of similarity here, and I'm going to use that illustration for today. Because in our lives as Christians, you know, we do um, experience the joy of God's presence. We experience a lot of God's goodness in our lives daily. But we're also, we know things that aren't complete right now. You know, we know things aren't finished yet. And we're looking forward, we're waiting in anticipation. So we have some, a lot but we're looking forward in anticipation, just like you get a little bit every day from your advent calendar, but you're looking forward to another day. And we await, you know, we, we, we've got peace, but we await also an ultimate peace for the world and for mankind. And we await that ultimate day of the Lord when everything will be made right and when wars will cease. 
And this is just uh, my part of the series today. I've got this little piece and uh, this little piece. Oh, there we go. That's a good joke. Uh, we can have peace now in our hearts through Christ our Savior, but we also have this promise of peace. So the looking forward, there's this promise in Scripture for an ultimate day of peace coming. Um, and, and we've got this anticipation. So we live with that sort of anticipation. And you might be, as we go through this series, you might have some of these big questions, you know, about violence and war. You know, we're saying you can have peace through Jesus. But you might have some of the major questions like, well, I don't really see this peace on earth. I don't really see peace in the wars that are going on around the world, all this violence, all this terror, all these things happening. So where is God, you know? Maybe you're blaming him for it. And that's a big question. And it can seem like a bit of a contradiction that we're preaching peace here when all these things are still going on. So I'm going to try and respond to that today a little bit. I might not be able to answer it for you, but I will try and respond to it a little bit as we go along. So what's the story so far? So if you were here last week, maybe you weren't, maybe you caught up, I don't know. But Margaret gave us some context last week on Isaiah because we're in Isaiah. And uh, there's some fascinating facts she gave us about the construction and the layout of the book. And that was really cool. Some of those things I didn't know. And I was like, oh, this is great stuff. Um, But I'm not going to go into too deep of a dive here into context because she's already given you a bit of a layout here. But in case you missed it, we're in Isaiah and we're looking at these famous verses from Isaiah 9. And if you don't know where that is, it's, um, you know, that bit in the song, For unto us a child is born. That's the bit we're looking at. So there you go. For unto us. Yeah. So that's where we are. So we're in Isaiah 9. Now the book of Isaiah, if you don't know who Isaiah was, Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah's a dude. Like, Isaiah's cool. So Isaiah's a prophet, and this is ancient text. This is like 2,700 years ago. That is a long time ago. Probably plus 2,000, more than that. Um, And it's 700 years before Jesus. So it's a long time before Christ. Uh, And it it's relevant to Israel, so it's kind of got double meaning in what he's saying here, maybe triple meaning, because it's relevant on the ground for what Israel's going through, what they're going to go through, and then what is to come, and then what is to come even further beyond that. So Isaiah's warning the leaders of Israel about the rebellion, and he's prophesying that Assyria is going to come in by way of the north, and they're going to wreck Israel. And this is going to be like a judgment for Israel, because they've walked away from God. Um, But later he also promises the downfall of Assyria within the same text. So he's saying, you're going to get wrecked by this country, but then they're going to get destroyed ultimately. And so a remnant of Israel is going to be saved. And in amongst this, most importantly, he prophesies about someone who's going to come out of Israel who will be a king, the prince of peace, a light to the nations in the darkness. And he prophesies about the birth of Jesus, but he also prophesies about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Even more interestingly, he promises beyond that, not more interestingly than Christ, but even more interestingly about how far in the future this is, he also prophesies about this ultimate peace that we are expecting. He prophesies that God's going to bring this final day of the Lord through this Messiah, this new king. So he prophesies 100 years after, he prophesies 700 years after, and he expects beyond that to now, it's relevant now, 2,000 years later, and for, for how long it lasts until this day of the Lord. So it's a really long, this guy is a tried and tested prophet. If you need any evidence, 
you know, these things have happened already, and we're waiting for the other things to happen too. This is a tried and tested prophet. He's hearing from God. And if you're still not sure what a prophet is, it's not just about forecasting the future. He's a mouthpiece of God. So sometimes we think of it as just if you know the future, but it's also just you're, you're broadcasting God's thoughts to people. You're downloading something from God to people. And sometimes it's predictive into the future as Isaiah was. So let's read this together. We're going to read the whole thing together. I nearly forgot to bring my Bible up there, but I've brought it here to read the scripture. So here we are, Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, it's never a good way to start because you actually need to go back and read all of Isaiah 8 to actually get context for Isaiah 9, but we're not going to do all Isaiah 8 today. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future... He will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. If you were here last week, you'll know that Zebulun and Naphtali are those parts of Israel that are in the north. He humbled them first as this army came down through. Galilee was nowhere land, but he says Galilee of the nations. Interesting. Listen to Margaret's from last week. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we've got some context, we've got our scripture. The verses that I'm focusing on today are three and five. Like I say, if you were here last week, you'll understand a little bit of Gentiles to the nations because it's about Jesus who comes from, uh, sorry, Galilee of the nations. Jesus comes from Galilee and this message goes out to the nations. And I wanna make four points today. If you're a note taker, I'll say them slowly. Number one, increase and joy. Number two, breaking the yoke. Number three, into the fire. And number four, ultimate peace and restoration. Joy, yoke, fire, peace. So Isaiah talks here about restoration. You know, he's prophesied judgment, but this part he starts to prophesy hope. This is a hopeful part of this book. And he starts talking about those northern kingdoms that have been humbled and they're the first places that Assyria come in and totally smash up. And they experience this judgment, but then he starts to talk about this galley of the nations and this message of peace. And so in verse three we read, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the pl plunder. And he's talking about increase He's talking about what's going to happen when this new king comes. He's talking about the people then, after this Assyrian empire is destroyed. But he's also talking about when the new king comes, the prince of peace. 
that they're going to have some restoration here. They're going to have increase. Because this Prince of Peace, and Tom's going to explore all the titles next week of, of his kingly titles. The people are going to have an abundance again, and their joy is going to be restored to this nation. And they're going to be filled with joy in the same way as when they're taking in the harvest. You know, they're going to be filled with joy. They're going to be rejoicing before God again. So this is like hopeful stuff for these people, but it's also so relevant for us. They're going to be like warriors dividing the plunder. You might think that's not a very peaceful image, but you know, he's trying to create this scene of plenty of elation. They've got all this stuff. What have they got? And they're dividing up and they're elated about what they've got. And these two things, harvest and victory, these are divine gifts. You can't make the stuff grow out of the ground. You can try your very best, but you can't make it happen. God allows it to come. You can't give yourself victory. God gives you the victory. You can try your hardest to fight the fight, but if God's not in the fight. So Isaiah is using this language of divine gifts, harvest and victory, that they're gonna rejoice with these things. Who's this nation? You know, it says the nation are going to be, are going to expand. We're the nation. You know, in the future, the kingdom of God is going to be expanded. Nearly a third of the world now profess to be believers in Jesus. That's a big kingdom. That's a big nation who are rejoicing in joy. We rejoice in our salvation before God. We have joy as if we've had a great harvest. We are dividing the plunder of this. You know what it's like when you get in the Word and something really pops out? Maybe you've not had this yet, but if you haven't, it's so exciting. Because just like I I wasn't actually particularly excited about these three verses when I got it. I was like, oh, Tom's got Prince of Peace and all these other things. (laughs) But you know what? I I didn't complain about it, but I trusted. You know, I know, Lord, your Word is so deep. And sure enough, when I started to look at it, it's a deep well and it started yeah. to come out. And as it comes out, I started to rejoice in his word because it's like gold. Yeah, yeah. And this is what we do together when we get together. We are dividing the plunder of God's good, good gift, his good yeah. gifts. And we're rejoicing in joy over those things. And we rejoice in him because of his forgiveness of our sins through his sacrifice. That is our joy our increased joy. There's an abundance of grace and forgiveness available for you this morning that leads to abundance of joy and rejoicing. And that's part of the peace, this wholeness, this shalom peace we have through Christ that we're preaching about. The second point is breaking the yoke. And this is not about breaking your eggs in the morning to make your omelet. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And Isaiah here, he's, ref- he's referring to the redemption that's going to come to these people after the judgment, that they're going to be restored. But he's, he's saying it's like when Gideon and his men defeated Midian in Judges 7. So you have to go back and have a look at that and what happened in Judges chapter 7. These guys were outnumbered. They'd been called by God to go a certain way, to make a smaller army than they needed because God said, I'm going to give you the victory. If you've got a big army, you're going to think you did it yourselves. So he gives them a small army, and then he defeats. They defeat these people that they should never have defeated. They were outnumbered. They're unlikely, but God gives them the victory over this oppressor. And that's what it's going to be like for the people, and that's what it's like for us. Unlikely. 
They could only win this battle by divine intervention. And what it says as he goes on here is that he breaks the burden off of them through this. And he does it in a way that shows that it's divine and it's not just human effort. But this, this yoke language is often used in scripture. And uh, it, basically, what, what are you attached to? I've got a picture here. I might be able to put it up. If you're going to read the Bible and you need to try and get into some ancient mindsets, because this is really long ago and he's trying to give imagery that makes sense for people. And this makes sense for them. That is oxen and they've got a bar across their shoulders, if you can see it there. And they've got something going in the ground. That's the plowshare behind them. You see these guys with a rod. They're driving these oxen to make this plowshare go along. They've got a heavy burden on their back and they're being towed along. They're attached. They work for those guys and they're being driven along. So having a yoke is almost like, who do you work for? You know? So Isaiah says, when the king of peace comes, he's going to shatter the burden, this yoke, off of the people and off of the oppressors. And that's an image of freedom from oppression. It's an image of freedom from oppression for us. This is what Jesus does for us. He shatters the burden. He shatters the yoke across our shoulders that is the weight of sin and the power of the devil over us. If it's you this morning, if you've got this weight that holds you down, if you don't feel you have this freedom, Jesus wants to give you this freedom. He wants to shatter this weight off of your back and break the rod of the oppressors. Because the enemy who was controlling you, if you're not yet a Christian, is harsh and hard and he's going to grind you down and he's got a rod and he's going to drive you like these oxen. But God wants to shatter the bar off of their shoulders, the weight that holds us down. The sin that once enslaved and entangled us, but now because of his sacrificial love and forgiveness, we can call, call on him and be freed from these chains and the weight of this burden of sin, this yoke. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened or heavy laden with a yoke, and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to say, he is, once he's freed us through his bloodshed on the cross, now take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find peace for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you might be wondering, that's a bit of a contradiction. I've just said about, you know, this being a bad thing, having a yoke on you. But Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And quite honestly, you are going to give your allegiance to somebody. You are going to be tied to somebody. So who are you going to be tied to? You're going to be tied to somebody under the yoke of somebody who's an oppressor, who's going to grind you down. Or are you going to take Jesus' yoke upon you and he's going to lead you to safe pastures and he's going to be gentle. And you're going to drive along with him as part of the kingdom, sowing these seeds of peace, this kingdom of peace that he's creating. You're going to be part of it, working alongside him, wearing his yoke. So it's not a bad thing. Point number three, refined with fire. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. What a beautiful thing. Here, Isaiah, he's saying that the warring is going to cease one day. You know, these instruments of war that have, you know, in that time, 
from Assyria are going to be burned up. They're going to be crushed. They've just watched, like Ukraine have been having, people coming into their country and beating them and destroying them. And, and Isaiah's saying, these things are going to end here. But he's also talking about, ultimately, these things are going to be burned up. That's going to be the downfall of Assyria. But I just want to point out one thing here about Jesus, that he's the Prince of Peace, but he brings a fire. And now fire for us, you know, it's a complicated thing because it can be very destructive, very unmanageable, and it's destroying and it's dividing. But there is also refining. When you're processing gold, and I don't know an awful lot about this, but I know enough that when you're processing gold, you have to heat it at an incredible temperature to burn off all of the rubbish. You're basically trying to keep heating it until you can burn off everything that isn't gold, that isn't pure, until you get to the purity, until you get to the good stuff, and all the other rubbish disappears. That's refining fire. And the Lord's going to do that with us too. It's going to hurt as well sometimes. It's not going to be easy for some of those things, to let go of some of those things, but that's why he's going to outwork in us as we follow him. And Isaiah talks about it at the start of Isaiah. If you go back and read, as he's about to prophesy, he says his lips, he has this image of his own lips being purified by a coal from the fire in heaven. It's all this imagery. It's incredible to read. He's purified by the fire. So I just want to say beware. You know, if you start following Jesus, he's going to start to do this in your life. He's going to start to take out some of the dross and he's going to start to purify until all that's left is gold. So just a warning there. He's going to start to refine you with his fire. And he's doing it here in the nation. He's burning up the violence in this place. He's going to burn up the weapons of war and he's purifying the nations. And he's going to do that with his church and he's going to do that with his people now. It's for then, it's for now. In different ways. This is a divisive fire that some are going to run away from and some are going to run to. So Jesus brings us peace through the fire. He's bringing us towards completeness, to wholeness, to shalom, to peace. So this verse, are you still with me? You're still here? This verse uh, in verse five is gonna bring me also to my final point. It's the same verse I wanna focus on. And this is ultimate peace and restoration. And there's two types of promise here. There's a promise of peace for you, for your hearts, for us. Something going on in our hearts for us as God's people. We're going to receive that. We're going to know his peace when we walk with him. And we're going to be being transformed by the Holy Spirit and being refined by the fire. But the other promise is one for complete peace in the way that we think about it on earth. The way that we imagine it. The end of wars. The end of suffering. And the end of destruction and chaos. And this might be where... Excuse me this big question you've got might be, you know, talking about all this peace you can have, but all these things are still happening in the world. You know, how can we talk about this happening when all that's out there? Where is the justice for all this wickedness that we see? And that is, it's a really valid question. And it brings me back to my advent calendar. Because we as God's people were in this time of anticipation And just like Isaiah described for Israel, they were in anticipation of the Messiah coming. 
And we know that Messiah to be Jesus, and he inaugurated this kingdom. He started this kingdom on earth when he came. And we're part of that kingdom when we're rejoicing in it daily. We're, we're enjoying some of that daily, but we're also looking forward to something else. And what we're looking forward to is a day of complete restoration of the earth. A day where God's rule and reign is going to come and it's going to permeate every part of the earth. And it's going to cover the whole earth. He will be in and through everything and he's bringing everything back to himself. That's the day that we're looking forward to. This is going to be an incredible day. And this is the ultimate promise of peace that we find in verse 5. There's going to be a day where all the instruments... You put up that other picture. How much do we like these pictures? I love these pictures. I mean, I don't like the, the idea that somebody was in that tank when that got burned up. But that thing can do nothing now. Yeah. It's completely destroyed. It's burned with fire. And there will be a day when all the intentions of war, all the instruments of war, of violence will be thrown in the fire. And Isaiah says here in verse 5 that they're destined for the fire and that there will be fuel for the fire. The boots of the soldiers who went to war are fuel for the fire. And in Isaiah 2, 4, we read some of these promises. He will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares that we saw back there. They will beat the instruments of violence into something to grow things, something they use for some, a peaceful activity. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And again in 11.6, this is all from Isaiah. What an incredible book. If you haven't read it, as Margaret said, go and read it, but also go and study it. Because if you just read it, you'll probably make no sense of it. You need to study it to try and figure out what's going on here. In 11.6, he says, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What beautiful piece of imagery. And he's using all this, it's not necessarily literal things, but he's using all this imagery to say the things that don't go together, a bear and a, I can't remember what he said here, a bear and a cow, you know, they never go together. A young child is going to lead all these fierce animals. All these things of violence that can't live together are going to be able to be together. And that's ultimate peace. That's the promise of ultimate peace that is going to come with the day of the Lord. And just remember here, if you're still thinking, I don't understand this, I still don't understand these things about this violence that's still going on. Just remember now, it's God, it's not God who made men violent. It's our choices. It's our hearts. It's our desires to take and our selfishness that turned all this into what we have now. And this is what we wait for, this anticipation, this final day of the Lord. I spoke about it at the beginning of that. It's exciting, this day of the Lord. Looking forward to a time when all these things will be burned up and he stops all this from happening and he says, that's enough. But it's also dreadful. Malachi calls it the great 
and dreadful day of the Lord. And he says that because in the same way as Isaiah prophesied to Israel, Jesus is going to come back with justice. And judgment's going to come before restoration. After this final day of the Lord, everything's going to be restored. There's going to be a new creation. There's going to be newness and wholeness. But before that, there's going to be judgment. And the first time that he came, he came lowly and gently and quietly. And he died and he rose again as an act of love for his enemies. That's for us. We were his enemies, destined for destruction, but he made a way for us to come into a relationship with him for forgiveness of sins. And he's made a way for us to bypass the judgment that we deserve by taking it upon himself, but only for those who believe. This is quite heavy. For those who take his yoke upon themselves, who attach them, I said, you're going you're gonna to give your allegiance to somebody. Who are you going to give it to? The next time he comes, he's going to come to judge the earth. He's going to put an end to wickedness. So you might be thinking, oh, that's fantastic. He's going to put an end to the wickedness that I, I hate, to injustice and violence. And as Psalm 46 says, he's going to break the bow and bend the spear and cause the wars to cease. And he's going to burn, where is it gone? Oh, it's not there. The chariots with fire. That's an amazing image, but it's coupled with the fact that if you're not standing with him, you'll be standing with the wicked. That you hope for their destruction. Or you hope for the destruction of these things of war. You might be blaming him for all that's going on. You might be cursing and accusing him for all that's going on. And yeah, he allows it, but he's not responsible. We are responsible for everything that is happening in the world. And he set this time limit. He's not going to allow it to go on forever. He said, there's going to be a point in the future when I say enough is enough. And the only reason that he's not let that happen yet is because of his grace. Because he's made this way for us to come to him. And he said, I'm going to leave it until... So as many can come as possible. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. I can't see my notes. I just want to say your desire for justice and peace that you have deep in your heart. If if you're standing off from him and you're thinking... You know, I've, I desire all these things. I can't believe you're not doing them. The desire you have for justice and peace and the anger you have against injustice and hate is from God. He feels those things much more passionately than you can ever imagine. And they're gifts to you. You shouldn't like those things. You shouldn't enjoy this war. So if you feel that injustice against it, that's part of God's attribute. He feels that against that. But he has so much compassion for mankind that he's let this time go on so that as many can come to him as possible. And he's coming and he's coming to burn up and test in the fire that everything's, that's un- so that everything that's unholy is going to be burned up. Just like the purifying fire, all that's left will be holiness. And then there'll be a newness and a new creation. And that's what Revelation tells us if you read Revelation. But in the meantime, this kingdom of peace is spreading and there's these pockets of places where you and me because he lives in us 
are also spreading this peace. So it's happening on the world and his kingdom is coming. And we pray every day, let your kingdom come. He calls us to love one another, to love him and to love others. How can you fulfill the great command of love one another without being a person of peace? It's impossible. That's the kind of thing he is bringing out in us. He's making newness in us even now before this ultimate day because peace is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. It might not be the type of peace that you're expecting right now because that day is yet to come. Don't worry, I'm winding down now. I know that this is it's quite heavy, but it's really important. And I think often we don't see it. The big question is, where do you stand? Because you've got to make a choice. And Advent doesn't last forever. The day is coming and the time, he says, is short. So if you stand opposed to him, if you accuse him of injustice, if you're standing up proudly in your sin and your rebellion and you're unwilling to submit to God, if you don't want to come to him in repentance and humility, then you stand with the wicked that you judge and condemn. Because there is only one way to the Father, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. He's given you a way out and a protection from that day of judgment. That's the important thing. That day is coming, and we are all hidden in Christ when we live in him. So that when that day comes, there will be no judgment for us. Rona preached the other week, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's a way out. If you stand with him, it's not just a way out. He also wants to give you those things that I've mentioned. If you follow him, if you respond to that call of come follow me, if you repent of your sin, he offers you forgiveness of sin and freedom from condemnation. You will be free from condemnation. You are free of that judgment. He says in John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus offers you true life and the things I've described here. An increased joy through salvation, abundant joy. That's what he's outworking in you. As Isaiah said, freedom from the yoke of the oppressor, that weight of the oppressor, he's going to break that. Freedom from sin that leads to death and rest for your soul, peace for your soul. He offers wholeness and fulfillment and a place in his new creation, reigning with him for all eternity. He offers you shalom, peace. Oh Lord, I thank you so much for your word. 